Chapter Thirteen of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen Against His Record. On the level stretch between the ranch house and the creek, the cowboys staged after dinner a frontier day show and a Fourth of July celebration combined. The fun began mildly with the three-legged races and the business of the greased pig. From these diversions it proceeded to foot races, in which Indians shone, and to keenly contested pony races between cowboys, reservation bucks, and sports from Sleepy Cat. Money was stacked with freedom, and differences of opinion were intensified by victory and defeat. While the spirit ran high, rodeo riding began with the master artists of the range and the pink of american horsemanship in the saddle in each succeeding contest the sleepy cat visitors headed by saudi and lefevre with big loose bunches of currency backed their favorites freely and men that counted nothing of caution in their makeup took the other end of every exciting event Flushed faces and loud voices added to the rapidly shifting excitement as one event followed another, and the betting fever keenly roused called after every possible wager had been laid for fresh material to work on. It was at this juncture that the shooting matches began. In a line and in a country in which many excelled in perhaps the most important regard, rivalry ran high and critics were naturally fastidious. The temptation to belittle even excellent work with rifle and revolver was, in Saudi and especially in Carpy, partly due to temperament. Both men were bad gamesters because they bet on feeling rather than judgment. They would back a man, or the horse of a man they liked, against a man they did not like, and sometimes thereby knew what it was to close the day with empty pockets. On this Fourth of July at Double Days, both men, as well as Lefevre, had been hit by hard luck. Their free criticism of the horse racing and the shooting did not pass unresented, and the fact that Tom Stone and his following had most of the sleepy cat money while the sun was still high did not tend to temper the acerbity of their remarks. Nothing that the crack shots of the range could do would satisfy either Saudi or Carpy. Van Horn, himself an expert with rifle and gun, was master of these ceremonies, and the belittling by the sleepy cat sports of the best the cowboys could show nettled him. Before you knock this any more, he said, put up some better shooting. The taunt went far enough home to stir the fault finders. Saudi and Carpy took grumpy counsel together. Presently they hunted up Laramie, who in front of the ranch house was talking horses with Kitchen and Doubleday. They told him the situation and asked for help. Come over to the creek and show the bunch up, Jim, was Saudi's appeal. The response was cold. Laramie refused to take any part in the shooting. Saudi could not move him. In revenge, he borrowed what money Laramie had, not much in all, and went back in bad humor. With the peeve of defeated men, the sleepy cat sports called for more horse racing to retrieve their fortunes, only to lose what money they had left, 
and suffer fresh jeering from Van Horn and his following. But abating in defeat and with empty pockets, nothing of their confident swagger, Carpy and Saudi, reinforced this time by Lefevre, McAlpin trailing along as a mourner, headed again for the ranch house after Laramie. They found him on a bench where he could command the front door, whittling and talking idly with Bill Bradley. Laramie was there intent on waylaying Kate within. His friends descended on him for the second time in a body. They laid their discomfiture before him. They begged him to pull them out of the hole. It was too much in the circumstances to refuse men he counted on when he himself needed friends, but he yielded with an ill grace. "'What do you want me to do?' he demanded finally. They told him. He would not stand up before a target, nor would he shoot in competition with anybody else. "'I've only got a few cartridges anyway,' he objected. "'Suppose when they're shot away these fellows get a fight going on me.' It was argued that there were enough gunmen in the Sleepy Cat crowd for defensive purposes, and that there was no end of available ammunition. A way was found to meet Laramie's objection on every point, and it only remained to hatch up a scheme for lightening the cattlemen's pockets. With Carpy, Lefevre, and Saudi, Laramie sat down apart. An exchange of views took place. Saudi had in mind something he had once seen Laramie achieve, and on this, the possibility of its success, the talk centered. The feat, it was conceded, would be a stiff one. It was put up to Laramie. He consented, after some wrangling and with misgivings, to try to save the day for his misguided sleepy cat friends. The moment consent was assured, his backers hurried away in a body. McAlpin as crier, Lefevre and Saudi to raise money, and Carpy to bully Van Horn and Stone, and their following. The news that Laramie would shoot caused a stir. Not everyone present had seen him shoot. His reputed mastery of rifle and gun was often in question, and no more grueling tests before friends and enemies could ever be given than what he was to attempt now. Not everyone got clearly, as the talk went on, just what the trial was to be. Saudi, having reinforced his resources, announced the event as Laramie against his record, to tie or to beat. Laramie himself, unmindful of the controversy, held to the bench. He was still sitting, head down and still whittling, when Bradley came to say the crowd was waiting. He asked Bradley to bring up his horse. Kate, coming out of the house, drew his attention. He threw away the stick in his hand and rose. "'I hear you're going to shoot,' she said. "'Can't get out of it very well, I guess.' "'You wouldn't shoot the time I asked you to.' "'I didn't actually refuse, did I?' "'Pretty near it.' "'It's a harder case today. Your men have got all the money, and my friends are broke.' and they've asked me to help them out somehow. That's the only reason. If you really want to see me shoot, all you've got to do is to tell me the next time you see me. Oh, I'm going to see you shoot now. She looked at the gun holster slung at his left hip. I hear you're left-handed. They've got work enough lined up today for two hands. 
Bradley returned with the horse and climbed awkwardly down from the saddle. Laramie tried the cinches and turned to Kate. "'Are you all ready?' she asked. "'Just about.' "'You try the cinches. I should think you'd want to try your gun.' "'I tried that this morning before I left home. All I've got to do before I begin is to slip an extra cartridge into the cylinder.' Leading his pony, Laramie, clinging to the talk as long as he could, walked with Kate toward the creek. Leaving her on a slight rise where he told her he thought she could see, he got into the saddle and rode down to where the crowd had assembled. On a stretch of the trail extending along the creek, John Fryingpan, under the direction of Saudi and Van Horn, were placing at intervals of about fifty to one hundred and fifty yards a series of targets. These were ordinary potatoes, left over from the barbecue, but selected with great care as to size and shape by the man whose money was up, Saudi. Frying pan's work was to impale them on a low-growing shrub along the trail to serve as targets. Against these targets, six in number, Laramie was to undertake to ride and to split five of the six as he galloped past them with six and no more bullets. The potatoes were up when Laramie joined Saudi, and Lefevre, with leather lungs, announced the terms of the test. Accompanied by Saudi, Van Horn, and Frying Pan, Laramie rode slowly down the course, a quarter of a mile long, examining the roadway and the targets. Here and there a loose stone was removed from the trail. One potato was moved from a dip in the course to a safer point. One was raised and one placed more clearly in sight. Having ridden to the end, Laramie expressed himself as satisfied with the conditions. Alone he went back over the course, and starting down the creek made a trial heat at full speed past the targets. One of these, at his request, was shifted again. While he watched this change, Saudi and Lefevre, surrounded by their followers, were crowding him as race touts crowd a favorite jockey, with final words of admonition and advice. When the one target was satisfactorily adjusted, Laramie, breaking away from everybody, returned alone to the starting point. Dismounting and taking his time to everything, he again tested his cinches, drew his gun from his holster, and breaking it, slipped a sixth cartridge into the cylinder. Dropping the gun back into place, he pulled his hat a little lower, glanced down the course and up toward the little hill on which he had parted from Kate. She was standing where he left her, but Van Horn had ridden up and, joining Kate, was talking to her. While she listened to him, she watched the preparations below. Laramie spoke to his pony, patted him on the neck, and mounted. Wheeling, he swung out into a wide circle across the level bench, and with gradually increasing speed into a measured gallop. Molded into one flesh with his mount, Laramie, impassive in the saddle as a statue, watched and nursed to his liking the pony's gait. When the rhythm suited, he urged the horse to a longer stride, and circling back into the course, drew his gun, held it high in the air, and swinging it slowly as if like a lariat, bore down at full speed on the first target. 
Markers for both sides in the bedding stood to watch each potato. No signal would mean the potato had been missed. For each hit, a hat was to be thrown into the air. In a complete silence among the spectators, every eye was fixed on Laramie. Those close at hand saw him, with his left arm still high in the air, sway slightly backward and slowly forward. While the circling gun poised at arm's length, he shrank closer and lower into the saddle. When he neared the first target, throwing his left arm toward it like a bolt, he fired, sped on, and was again swinging his gun. He had hardly covered six more paces before a hat was tossed into the air behind him. A yell went up from his friends. Horsemen wheeled into the course behind the flying marksman. With five potatoes still to negotiate, they were afraid to cheer. But as one hat after another along the shooting line, the second, the third, and the fourth were tossed up from the target behind the speeding horsemen, the sleeping catmen bellowed with joyful confidence. The fifth target was of unusual distance, a hundred and fifty yards from the fourth. Leaving the fourth, Laramie's horse broke, and the onlooker saw that his rider was in trouble. He kept the swing of his gun without breaking the rhythm, but his efforts were in his bridle arm to steady his horse. The hopes of his backers fell as they saw how stubborn the pony had become. The hundred and fifty yards were barely enough to bring him under control. Laramie, still circling his raised gun, did bring him under, but he was already nearing the fifth target, and to the horror of his friends passed it without attempting to fire. Of the two chances left him to tie, which meant to win, he had passed up one. The sixth and the last meant life or death to the shaken hopes of his backers. They saw him settled once more into the long, even stride he needed for the shot, and their breaths hung on each flying leap that brought the rider near his last chance. The sixth target was separated by barely fifty yards from the fifth. Laramie had covered half the distance when he completely reversed his form. He stretched gradually up in the saddle, and riding close in on the target itself, rose to his full height in the stirrups, and smashed his fifth shot almost straight down on it. The potatoes split into a dozen fragments. Bill Bradley, at the sixth, was watching for Saudi. His hat sailed twenty feet into the air. The yelling crowd rode Laramie down as he galloped in a long circle back. His line swung on his forearm while he slipped four fresh cartridges into the warm cylinder of his revolver. He dismounted to ease his cinches. I guess I overdid it, he explained to the friends that crowded closest. I got the cinches a little tight. The pony didn't like it. I couldn't get the gate in time for the number five, but I knew I could make number six. Remounting, he made his way through the crowd, back over the course. Kate was still on the hill. You won, didn't you? she cried as he rode toward her. If I hadn't, I guess I'd have had to head straight across the creek for home. Could you see? I watched you the whole way. What a long arm you have. 
While these ten horns are counting their money, would you like to show me the ponies? You have a long memory, too. I was brought up a good deal with Indians. Shall I hunt up Van Horn to go with us? She darted a quick glance at him. Why, yes, surely, she retorted, if you want him. Laramie was tearing out a cigarette paper. I could look at them without him, he returned calmly. I don't see him anyway, murmured Kate, professing to sweep the crowded course with her eyes. Don't look too hard, cautioned Laramie. I suppose we might save time, she suggested, ignoring his last remark, by going without him. End of chapter 13